0: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. In the programme this week, a disgraced All Black has been suspended for four matches and says he won't drink for a year. The New Zealand Rugby Union isn't sure that Zach Guildford will be able to keep his word though and we hear why, despite that, he's still been given another chance. With the Men's Champions Trophy Tournament over, Hockey New Zealand's CEO discusses the reappointment of the women's coach, who explains why he's forgone a return to Queensland for another three years. With just over seven months to go before London hosts the Olympics, we talk to the New Zealand Olympic Committee's new Secretary-General and to one of New Zealand's current crop of world champion rowers. And as cricket fans savour the second test win over Australia in Hobart, we get a more grassroots view of the game from a former assistant national coach. Rugby first, though, and before the NZRU announced the widely expected appointment of Steve Hansen to replace the retired Graham Henry as All Blacks head coach, it had to deal with Zach Guildford. The disgraced wing's well-publicised drunken behaviour on holiday in Rarotonga after the World Cup win has resulted in him being suspended for four games, three of them pre-season, and he'll have to pay for professional help. The penalty comes after revelations during the World Cup that Guildford had been involved in other drunken incidents. The NZAU's manager of professional rugby Neil Sorensen, told Barry Guy that expert advice they've been given is that in all likelihood Guildford will have further alcohol problems as his recovery will take some time.
4: The key thing we said right at the start was we want to support this guy, he's one of us, he's part of our rugby family. The second thing is that he has recognised that he has serious issues. But also uh, we have to look at it from an employer's perspective whereby it's not great having the name of rugby dragged through the media and the the public to this extent. So, look, termination of this young man's contract was absolutely an option that we we gave serious consideration to. But ultimately we came round to the fact that we still need to support this young man who has issues and it's probably in Zach's best interest that he remains with the NZRU and it's also in our best interest as well that that we can support this guy because he has a lot to offer both on and off the field. So
5: termination just wasn't down one end of the spectrum. It was it was on the radar.
4: Yeah, absolutely on the radar. Certainly one of the options that was on the table when um, during the last few weeks.
5: Did the whole uh, employment contract issue then come into consideration? The players' association. I, I'm sure uh, termination is an extreme almost.
4: Yeah. Look, we are bound when when dealing with our players by a collective employment agreement. So the, the CEA, or the collective employment agreement, bails out some rules that govern misconduct, both on-field and off-field. So we are guided by those, and it does lay out uh, when you can and, and can't suspend when you can and can't hand out other sanctions and, and what constitutes grounds for termination, just like any employment contract does, to be fair.
5: You said it was an interesting case because previously what you'd done obviously hadn't worked. Is this a, a test of things that need to evolve also as an employer?
4: Yeah, absolutely. We learn every day with issues like this, and um, we wish they were more positive issues, but you tend to learn more from issues that challenge you, or you learn more from your mistakes. And in this case, we've actually said to ourselves, whatever we've done in the last couple of years with Zach, whether it's at age group level or whether it's with the Crusaders or Hawke's Bay or, or with his family and friends, whatever support or assistance we've put in and around Zach to help him with his issues, we have to put our hands up and say, look, it hasn't worked. And that was one of the first things we did. We said, this is just not working. So what we did this time, which was probably quite different from anything we'd done in the past, which has actually gone to and compelled Zach to seek some professional assessment, to, you know, to see exactly what what drives this kid. And we were guided in terms of the plan that of support we put in and around Zach We were very much guided by the professionals and we said look whatever the professionals say is the best thing for this young man um, we'll take on board. They could easily have come out and said look we suggest termination or we suggest just a a mild warning but we could agreed with Zach that we would stand by the decisions of of those that know best and and that's what we've done.
5: So where you're at this stage was there an ultimatum that this is your last chance?
4: No, it's a good question and and, and what the, the professionals or the professional advice we've got is that the issue this young man has with, with alcohol is such that he is likely to transgress. We'd like to think that, that he's got a, a long career in front of us. He's, he's 22. He's potentially got seven or eight years with us. And it's likely, because of the nature of his, his issue or his relationship with alcohol, that he will transgress in the future because you don't, don't just go from having a major issue to not having a major issue overnight. So, and we're very cognizant of that and we will, we will take that into account if that ever falls over again. And, that, you know, we will, obviously they'll, we'll have to take into account his history with us, but the first thing we'll do is say, you know, what's happened here and how can we help? That'll, hopefully that'll be our first response.
5: This uh, perhaps isn't just a Zach Gilted issue, though, I suppose, in a way, is it? I mean, um, he's a young man, yeah. having having beers. And, and in a way, really, what happened in the Cook Islands, he wasn't with the New Zealand Rugby Union. He wasn't actually gamefully working with them at the stage when he got himself into trouble, so
4: yeah.
5: it's a tricky one. Uh,
4: addressing your first point, no, it's not just a Zach Gilford issue. It is a, a wider social issue in New Zealand, but the difference with Zach is that, you know, Zach is at the ex- extreme, and, you know, the, the majority of our players and the majority of the people that, that work in rugby, their relationship with alcohol is fine, but you do have people, and Zach's one of them, that doesn't have a good relationship with alcohol. Uh, and that would be, I would imagine, be reflected in society as well. In terms of Zach being on holiday, look, Zach's employed by us, uh, by the New Zealand Rugby Union and by Hawke's Bay, for 12 months of the year, and he certainly brought the game into disrepute, and he brought himself into disrepute in Rarotonga, and we were compelled and had to deal with it.
5: While rugby players can't be above the law, in fact, all blacks have to be so much further Under the law almost, you know, they're not a regular Joe and they have to realise that they are something special and therefore the image needs to be kept clean.
4: The key thing is that in an ideal world they just need to be themselves. But of course if an all black walks into the dairy, people are going to turn around and and stare at the all black in the dairy. And and that is just a fact of life. But we put it to these young men, you know, if they don't want that public glare, if they don't want the adulation that sometimes comes their way, if they don't want people staring at them in the dairy, and if they want to go and earn the average wage and get a trade, then they should step out of this particular game. It just comes with the fact that if, if they want to have a have a career where they are under the spotlight, or they do earn four to five times the average wage, you know it comes with some, if you like and I don't, I don't even call them hardships, but it comes with some tags that they need to deal with. So it's, it's very much a choice.
0: That's the use Neil Sorensen talking to Barry Guy and This is Extra Time, a web only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport, and I'm Murray Williams. Hockey now and after the Black Sticks men finished fourth in the first champions trophy tournament New Zealand has hosted, the women have a chance to better their bronze medal in the Netherlands last year when their Olympic build up resumes at the Champions Trophy in Argentina late next month. Mark Hager has coached the women for three years and I asked Hockey New Zealand's CEO Hilary Paul why she says re-signing him for another three years is such a coup.
6: We would rank him right up there in terms of his coaching status from a world perspective. He's, we believe, one of the best coaches internationally for hockey. That's in terms of his knowledge, his skills, but it's really the quality of the man. He, he's a great leader. He works very collaboratively and With the code, so with Hockey New Zealand, our staff, but more broadly with the regions uh, where we've got uh, burgeoning talent development programs. So he provides really good leadership in terms of coach development within the sport. And then, of course, it's how he leads and manages the National Women's Program. The athletes have just got a huge amount of respect for him. He's very clear with his expectations. He's just really well respected and trusted. So he runs a really healthy national squad.
0: And I guess if you look at, what, 12th in 2009, 6th in 2011, that's Mm. a a, a pretty uh, good rise up the ranks. Uh, What what are your expectations in terms of him doing better than that? I mean, they've, they've had Oceania Cup this year and third at the Champions Trophy.
6: Uh, Well, look, our our goal is is twofold. One is to have our teams consistently within the top six. So we're just there with the women and we're we're not quite there with the men. So we want to be consistently within the top six ranked teams. And then our other goal is to medal um, at World Majors. So uh, we had our first taste of that this year with uh, the Women's Champion Trophy, which uh, was magnificent. And look, we really believe we're taking a long-term view. So in terms of our talent development throughout New Zealand, In our national junior squads, um, 2012, you know, the trains left the station, the teams are working extremely hard, and we know we'll be highly competitive. But we're looking longer term at that 2014 World Cup and 2016 Olympics, where we really would expect to see that step change. So so the longer we can maintain someone of Mark's calibre, the better.
0: That's Hilary Paul of Hockey New Zealand, which is one of the big winners in the latest investment funding announcement by High Performance Sport New Zealand. It receives a top-up of $600,000 over and above their existing funding following the men's and women's successes at the Champions Trophy. I also asked Mark Hager, who's still the Australian team's highest scorer, why he's staying on till the end of 2014.
1: I've really enjoyed the the three years to date and obviously looking forward to the challenge over the next few months, so that'll be pretty exciting for us.
0: Oh, because you've got Champions Trophy next month too, don't you?
1: We do. We leave on the 15th of January, so we're training up until... The 22nd or 21st, I think, of December. Then we'll have a break, and then come back around the 4th of January, have about five sessions, and then then we're off.
0: What happens after that in relation to London?
1: So we've got a Four Nations just prior to the Champions Trophy in, in Cordoba, in Argentina. Then obviously the Champions Trophy in Rosario. Then we've got Argentina coming out here in March for a four-test series. Then uh, Four Nations here in, in uh, New Zealand against Aussie, India, and USA and then at the moment we're trying to finalise some competition in May. We originally had South Africa coming out but um, um, due to their financial situation they were unable to, to tour so we're trying to fill a hole there and then, then we named the Olympic team and then we head off to the Olympics around about the 9th of July.
5: Yeah, it's a pretty crowded program, isn't
1: it? It's quite busy but it gives us a really good opportunity to have a look at everyone and play a lot of competition because a lot of teams, they want, you want to average about 20 to 30 international matches before the Olympics and, and we're probably one of the team the lighter um, international calendar when you when you look at some of the top four teams they're playing around about 40 to 50.
0: What makes this uh, group so special because they have come a long way in, in quite a short time I guess on one level you could say you inherited a, a, a bit of talent there but a lot of it must be down to your influence as well.
1: Oh look I, I think I've, I've just been very lucky as you said to come in at the right time with the, the talent that's there and probably lucky to stamp an attacking mindset, which I think the girls already had. They love to attack, and, and that's something we really tried to instil in them, that you know we want to score goals, we want to be very aggressive in the way we play, and, and we've had to probably taper off a little bit with our attack and, and, and start to firm up our defensive side as well without giving away too many opportunities, And which has been in the past, it's been a bit of our, our downfall. We can score some goals, but we leak too many at times, so we've tightened up our defence over the last probably nine months and and we've got closer to the top team so but they're they're a very talented group they're young they're exciting and and i think this four years is is a real learning curve we're going to go into the olympic games with not a lot of experience
0: that's the black sticks women's coach mark hager and this is extra time a web-only program from radio new zealand sport just over seven months out from the london olympics the new zealand olympic committee is busy in preparations to get the team there and competing at its best it's the committee's centenary year and its members are hoping that milestone will translate into something special in London. Barry Guy spoke with the NZOC's Secretary-General, Karen Smith, and asked her about her first 12 months in the job.
3: It's really been illuminating, to be honest. I think what it shows is that you don't really understand what's entailed in a job until you sit in the seat. And um, I absolutely love it. However, there's some immense challenges but also exciting opportunities. So I feel like I've now... Had the chance to wrap my head around the various games that we're involved with and obviously London, I think 227 days away. So uh, that's very much um, on our radar for the next six months.
5: Has it been perhaps sort of a step away from the coalface a little bit with with this position now and more, you know, you're at the top, sort of have that overview now?
3: Mm-hmm. It's certainly very different to the role that I had in the academy of sport. The particular focus on, I guess, you're looking... Internationally, a lot, and thinking about what it takes to succeed on the world stage, and making sure that our relationships with various host um, cities, and thinking about our campaigns internationally. So that's something that I've just had to wrap my head around. is a little bit different to what I've had before.
5: And while for a lot of us, our minds may have been elsewhere this year, London 2012 is the countdown. It's not far away, is it?
3: At the moment, we've got athletes and teams competing and actually doing really, really well in terms of qualification and we're soon to enter into the nomination and selection time for that. And also on the other side of the world, in London, really solid preparations going on. London Organising Committee are right on top of their game. The venues are ready. They're very, very well organised and have been hosting a lot of test events. So, you know, all is pointing to being outstanding games next year.
5: I know going to any Olympics is is, uh, special, but there seems to be something about London. I don't know whether it's New Zealanders and the Link or, or somewhere. Do you feel that?
3: Very much so. I think there's some real heartstring attachment still there with London. It will be a special Games not only because it 's the third time they 've hosted them, but we have a, a strong linkage there, clearly from our history. They have also around about I think one hundred and fifty thousand New Zealanders live in the u k so we 're anticipating not only wonderful home support but also almost like a home games for our athletes so it 's a pretty special experience actually.
5: will you try and tap into that somehow using the people there somehow
3: yeah we 've been really engaged with their Kiwi networks over there in London and uh, the challenges on that side of the world are actually getting access to tickets so I think there's a real sense of excitement but yet also um, trying to get a piece of the action so we've got to wrap our heads around quite how we're going to do that and reconnect with New Zealanders there.
5: The size of a team, I know there's there's lots of contenders, we've got a, a number of teams that might be there, are we looking at a big team go?
3: At this stage, hard to be definite about it, obviously but thinking we'll have a similar team size to Beijing which is around about 180 athletes and by the time you layer into that officials and support staff probably around about 300 and to put that in context that's about the 15th to 17th biggest Olympic team in the world out of 205 nations so although we have very very high standards New Zealand has a relatively big team
5: and is there some correlation between the size of the team and expectations of success?
3: Well you know athletes in New Zealand at the moment are tracking really well we would like to think that being the hundredth year of the New Zealand Olympic Committee and there is the potential for it to be the hundredth medal in London that it's going to be a pretty special time so there's a real focus on success and excellence and a real determination amongst the high-performance community that London is a time for us to really deliver. So uh, we're feeling that things are tracking well.
5: Going to the Olympics and competing at the Olympics is the main thing, but there's something some special that the New Zealand Olympic Committee seems to have been trying to do in recent years as to that whole feeling of representing New Zealand and what being at the Olympics is all about. Mm. I mean, you are continuing that sort of theme?
3: Very much so, because... There's a a sense about an Olympic team that you're bringing together a, a diverse range of sports and people from almost their own disciplines. And in order to create something that inspires them and unites them, it's quite important to do something a little bit different. And what we like to do is to create something that's bigger than the individual, so that they have a connectivity with New Zealand and with who they are and who they stand for and what they represent. And so that's a very important part of our planning and preparation is just how we do that.
5: Does that help the athlete cope with the situation?
3: Well, the feedback says that athletes really find that inspirational. They find that it helps them bond with other athletes from different sports they don't normally connect with and creates something that is a little bit special. So the feedback certainly is supportive of that approach.
5: And I believe you just got back from London. Is, it, is it appearing to be something special, is it?
3: London is humming, you know, in terms of there's a real buoyancy about the Games and under the leadership of Lord Sebastian Coe, he's such a charismatic, dynamic leader that... He has galvanised so much of the community and the the venues look fantastic, a mixture of old and new and they've had their test events and there's a real sense of confidence that they're on track.
0: That's the NZOC Secretary-General Karen Smith talking to Barry Guy and this is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. The Christmas regatta at Lake Karapiro, the weekend before the holidays start, is pitting New Zealand's top rowers against each other in some intriguing matchups at the start of the build-up to the Olympics. World champions Rebecca Scown and Juliet Haig are entered in a packed women's pairs event, where their opposition includes two members of the silver medal-winning under-23-8 from Amsterdam, Kelsey Bevan and Kayla Pratt. Haig told me the younger rowers have been doing really well in training, pushing her and Scown hard, but they've responded.
2: Going pretty well. This time of year is when we really we do the really long miles, and yeah, I'm pretty happy actually at the moment to be injury free, which you know was quite a problem for me this year. It's been really good getting like a really long block of um, just solid training and getting in long kilometres.
0: And Rebecca, how's she uh, shaping
2: up as well? She's doing really well. She's pretty steady in her training, and she. Hasn't had many problems with injuries in her whole career. And, you know, she's just trucking along as usual.
0: You guys are world champions. Uh, I presume other crews would be looking at you and thinking, wondering about the possibilities of giving you a hurry-up. Any Who do you see as as uh, likely closest opponents, I guess?
2: Since we started summer squad, we've actually had two sets of younger girls and pairs join us for our training. And uh, they've come out of the under-23 squad. So we've actually, you know, they've been doing really well and the training pieces, and we've actually really enjoyed having the competition. And so obviously in the weekend at the regatta, they'll obviously be wanting to go as fast as they can and we'll be wanting to put as much distance as we can between ourselves and them. But I think overall it's just been really positive for them and their development and also for us in terms of having some good competition.
0: What does the way they've been going tell you about the, the depth of the sport here?
2: really promising and I think it's a great opportunity for them to spend time in a pair because a lot of the girls have you know spent time in bigger boats for long periods of time but for them to actually have a, a longer period of time in a combination in a pair I think is really good for their development and it will affect the program overall as they develop and then go back into bigger boats or perhaps stay in smaller boats.
0: And in the other events um, Emma she should be okay I guess as a uh... In the, uh, in the single skull, but I understand there's a, a new look women's eight there as
5: well.
2: Yeah, well, they're sort of, I, I think they're experimenting with a few things. There will be a, a women's eight um, racing this weekend. Obviously, there's, there are at the moment a lot of strong and big girls in the squad, and I think potentially there could be an eight there.
0: How important would that be given the, uh, I guess it's kind of a blue ribbon event as far as the, the men are concerned, and we've got that history going back to Munich in 72. What about women in that regard?
2: Obviously it's something we've never um, managed to achieve is get a women's eight to the Olympic Games and we've tried a number of times and even though we haven't made it, those girls or that group of people who've tried to make the eight have gone on to make other really good combinations and really good crews that have performed internationally. It would be great to keep trying with the women's eight and then you keep a large group of girls in the system and I think pretty soon I think we're going to be able to do it.
0: We just mentioned earlier that it's only just over eight months till the Olympics in London. What's ahead of you other than this this regatta in terms of uh, preparations for the Games?
2: This is sort of our first main regatta of the summer. We've got the North Islands there in January and then the national champs in February, which, I mean, it is important, but and it isn't. It's important in that you want to do well, but then also you, the main focus is always going to be trials because that's where you really want to perform and that's when the selectors will make their final decision on the Olympic cruise. So I think until we, you know, hear our names called and we've performed as well as we want to at trials, that's when we sort of start looking ahead again and then we have two World Cups leading into the Olympics and then the Olympics.
0: What have you made of the way the guys have been going?
2: I don't have a lot of contact with them the moment we do our pieces separately. The squad, you know, it's sort of a matter of at the moment, head down, bum up and everyone's just really training hard and there's a really good training environment, and I think it's just we're basically on the countdown and every day counts now, so it's just about getting the best out of ourselves every day.
0: That's the Pairs World Champion, Juliet Hagen. and this is Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. Cricket now, in hopes that the Black Caps could win a series in Australia for the first time since 1985, were quickly dust in Brisbane, where an injury hit home side easily won at the Gabba. And after more indifferent batting and in Hobart on a green-tinged wicket, it looks as if New Zealand was in for a 2-0 series defeat, with Australia starting the fourth day on 159 for two, needing only 241 to win. But the young pace bowler Doug Bracewell took six wickets, and the Black Caps won by seven runs. And, for a change, the men in the baggy green caps copped the abuse from the media and fans ahead of the four-test series against India. New Zealand fans have a much longer wait for more cricket, Zimbabwe at the end of next month and South Africa in March. And for a more grassroots view on the game in the meantime, Canterbury's coach Bob Carter, a former national assistant coach, shares his thoughts with Barry Guy.
7: We've got a very good crop of players who are a coming through. We've got some good senior players who are still very much in the mix for their provinces and that's something that we have to keep on doing, whether it's Canterbury or or whoever that might be. Once you can get that particular mix, then hopefully that can can go through to the international team. Uh, And, you know, obviously we've had some good performances, you know, international level. You've taken the World Cup recently, and and obviously Zimbabwe, where we won the series. I mean, hopefully we can carry that on. But I don't think things are as gloomy as what people make out. That's just my opinion, though. There have been two tight test matches or could well have been two tight test matches overseas. And the pitchers have been testing, and that's what it's all about.
5: So is the Plunkett Shield doing its job? They always talk about that gap between Plunkett and international. I mean, how do you see that?
7: There'll always be a a gap between the two, obviously, because when you move up to the international level, the bowling is that more consistent, and the batting becomes that more demanding on on whatever you play on. That's the whole idea of, of moving from one level, first class, to the international level. Personally, I believe that Plunkett Shield, there's been some good changes in the sense that we've changed the point system, which I think helps in the way we play the game. I still think we need to look at developing our pitches so that games can last four days. We can get our spinners involved in order to bring spinners through. I don't see any point in games lasting three days, and that just makes the mockery of things. But also, I believe we've still got a bit of tinkering to do with getting there and making sure that we do play the game in the right way.
5: You said earlier you didn't think the game was too bad. Was that because you say there are still a number of experienced, not veterans, but very experienced players playing domestically?
7: That's one of the reasons that there are some good experienced players still playing in the Plunkett Shield as well as bringing players through. Our philosophy here is to try and develop our players as well as play with our players who are more experienced. The key factor is is that we keep the players in the game as long as we can so that we can then, those players are performing in order to put pressure on the players at at the international level who are already there. I mean, we're playing two test matches where both pitches have been extremely testing. We perhaps needed more than one test match in Zimbabwe to prepare ourselves for that. And I think that's the difference, that Australia had a grounding of, of having some tough test matches in South Africa. We didn't quite have that same grounding going into this series. So if we can look at that and keep building on our... Test match cricket, I see that improvements will be made quite quickly.
5: So, keeping players in the game, is that managing them physically or is it the rewards that will keep them in and not make them look elsewhere?
7: For any player who who gets, as the years go by, physically is always the key factor. But from what I see around all the provinces, fitness is way up there. Players who want to play and who want to keep playing, you know, I, I know the amount of work that players put into their fitness and put into their games as well. So that's a good thing. We have to make sure that the rewards are there for them to be able to play rather than look outside. You're a long time retired from this game, so I'm a firm believer that you should carry on and try and play as long as you can. I mean, you look at Raul Dravid, he came out here to play on the Indian tour when he was about 35, and there was a lot of talk that he was going to, you know, like, oh, it's time to drop him. Now he's 38 and still scoring hundreds and still fit and I think we've got many players who are fit as well. We just need to keep on pushing them forward to perform and hopefully to take it into the international game.
5: After this test, there is quite a, a break, isn't there, before the Zimbabwe series. Is that too long, or do they use the Zimbabwe series then to look ahead to the South African series? As you say, you know, you need some good competition.
7: The South African series is is a key one for us, you know, very outstanding team, The South Africans performed well, obviously, off of a very tight series against Australia. They've also performed well in all forms of the game and will be very competitive. And I think that will be a really good place to see if we can really match them in our own country. I'm sure we can. And preparing ourselves with perhaps some, I don't like to call a test match a warm-up game, but at least it gives us an opportunity to see certain players get some runs behind their belt and hopefully some wickets and take a winning team into those games against South Africa.
5: Over the summer, doesn't really go to the shorter version of the game in a way? you Yeah, it does. Is that unfortunate?
7: You've got to fit in the the T20 where it needs to be. I think it's a very good window to what's come up with for this year as regards hopefully getting crowds along. Playing it over the holiday period is the key for getting people there. Most of the time, I think all all the uh, black caps are going to be available, which is good. So again, it gives an incentive for people to come to the games. And also the, the carrot of winning the HRV is qualification to the IPL qualifying tournament um, in order to play in, in the IPL next September, stroke October.
5: You might not want to answer this, but is the balance right there? Because that, that carrot in T20 yeah. now seems to be massive compared to the rest. Did the players I, I think, put think, too much yeah. into it? Or, you know, what do you think?
7: I agree, but it's always a difficult one to get the balance. I mean, I know for a fact... I. It's talked about at the moment that there's no, likewise in, in, in New Zealand, there's no first-class cricket in Australia leading up to the Indian Test Series. And likewise, we'll have the same for, for I think, Zimbabwe. And I think there may be a couple of opportunities before the South Africans are here. I'm not 100% sure. That's what we adapt to. And, and our cricketers, I mean, I think we are adaptable. And as long as we can keep everybody fit, we can get the right team playing, then there's no reason for us to have success
0: that's the show for this week feedback's welcome via sport at radio nz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website while we'll be back with the next web only extra time show next week i'm murray williams for radio new zealand sport bye for now
1: hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues